Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Kill son pole, PA. Who is Newtown? Newtown is Carthage. I mean, that's how we know it in history, mm-hmm. uh, as he reveals a little bit later as well. And he calls it Newtown because it is a colony of the Phoenicians, the cities of Tyre and Sidon in Palestine. Right which means it's really just a member of the Philistines that mm-hmm. the Hebrews struggled so profoundly with. Right. It was a very developed, highly civilized culture. Sort of like the way New York is Right, and a that's colony why they called of, it New Town. Of England, ex- yeah. Exactly yeah. right, like New Amsterdam, New York, right, all of those things, yes. Let me read something from the chapter on Carthage. In the New Town, which the Romans called Carthage, as in the parent cities of Phoenicia, The god who got things done bore the name of Moloch, who was perhaps identical with the other deity whom we know as Baal, the Lord. So the heathens that Uh God told the Israelites to destroy down to the last man, woman, and child so as not to have their culture and their religion infect. Mixed in. Right, with the Hebrews, was precisely that of the new town. Yeah. It was Carthage's religion. That's right. who they represented. Right. And he gives sort of like a history, a story about Carthage and Rome. Mm-hmm. They were enemies. Right. And enemies for a particular reason, which mm-hmm. is why he develops this chapter as he does. Yeah. He presents... And why you picked this chapter. Right. I love this chapter because it presents in the first part, and you and I have gone back and forth over this, trying to get clear on what it is that Chesterton is saying, because mm-hmm. it's almost like it falls apart into two very distinct yeah. parts. The first part talks about the nature of the human soul and what it is that differentiates human beings from the animals, right? That the mm-hmm. human soul is something unique. He's building an argument. Right. Right. And actually, in a large sense, that's what he's been doing throughout this entire That's first what I was going to book say in the first part of the of book. the everlasting man. Mm-hmm. That man is unique. He is not an animal. He is something more than an animal. And so this is flying in the face of the well, H.G. Wells's history of the world. Right. We know that explicitly, explicitly he's writing this against H.G. Wells's history of the world, which was like reducing everything to an economic history, which is just right. flat out Marxism. Right, right. And also just the science of Chesterton's day. And I would say, of course, that it's Hegelian as well, Mm -hmm. because what they're doing is reducing the idea that there is a transcendent reality to which man is a part, right, being made in the image of God, Mm -hmm. to simply the imminent reality that we are just creatures of this world that have evolved and are getting better and better, part of the arc of history that things are getting better and better and better and more and more The good is yet to come. And, right, so everything's getting better. Right, instead of the good was at the beginning. Instead of the God good is, created it good to start. The good is coming. Right. Okay, so you said that both sides were motivated by some sort of worship. Yeah, that's a point That's that, what Chesterton lays out here. For sure, that Chesterton lays out, mm-hmm. which is why he makes that point that a religious war is when two conflicting worldviews come into contact Mm-hmm. And they are opposing worldviews. Yeah. And that's what he says was the conflict between Carthage and Rome. Right, right. Two very different worldviews, which I guess we'll get into. Right. And so he, he builds the beginning of the chapter about the soul. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into showing how... That this was, in fact, 
a religious war, right. a war that is built upon a foundation that says, I can't live in this world if you are living in this yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, he says, you don't allow a poison to go on existing. Mm-hmm. Because a poison is not something you want to live alongside you cannot, of. You can't live. Right. And that's why <laughs> the Roman orator Cato the Elder mm-hmm. ended every speech with the phrase, Carthago delenda est, Carthage must be destroyed. Right, right. What was the problem with Carthage? They were what? They were materialistic. Yes. Their gods were the gods of despair. Right. And the god Moloch, to Mm -hmm. whom children were sacrificed. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is actually something that Chesterton has been building towards throughout this entire book. Yeah. Because he's laying down the notion of the pagan world mm-hmm. as being dominated by... A good myth and a bad myth? Yeah, by mythology. Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of lighthearted mythology of the Greeks yeah. who are ramifying upwards. Mm-hmm. And the, the mythology of the Romans, which is much more... Brought down to earth, domesticated. Right, to earth, domesticated concerned with family and hearth mm-hmm. and and home hearth and home right right and the evil mythology and he really ends up calling it that mm-hmm. that is concerned with simply getting things done right it's that sense of being willing to sell one's soul as long as you can get the results that you're searching for because there is no meaning there's nothing else Right. Except what's here and now. Everything boils down to the here and the now. Right, right. So Carthage, and the results we can gain from it. It's the same sort of practical mm-hmm. results oriented ethics that we find ourselves We're embroiled today. in in today's world. Yeah. So Carthage was the material. Yeah. The, the their god was the, the god of despair. Thing. And the ends always justified the means. Right. And there's nothing more to man except what was material. Right. And so if we were to exemplify the notion of a materialistic philosophy that he spent so much of the first part of the chapter tearing down, yeah. if we were to exemplify it in any particular culture, it would be the culture of Carthage, the culture of the Phoenicians, which were concerned merely with producing wealth and living the good life and, as far as possible and achieving the best results, however that had to be done. And they missed what he said in the first part of the chapter. They missed the soul they missed of the soul. man. Yeah. Yes. What yeah. is it that it was, keeps a it human was, being yeah. doing things that no one would understand mm-hmm. if you're just calculating. Right, right. And then on the other side of that was Rome. It was like you said, hearth and home. Mm-hmm. And those things were kind of like what God instilled in us yes. since the creation of the world. Right. You know, the institutions of right. marriage and family. The natural order of things in which man and wife and children right. are the foundation of a society. Right. And rather they, than the wealth. That we can build from it. Right. They valued more than just we're here to survive and, and, and whoever's the strongest survives. We, right. They valued the institutions that were kind of like written on our souls, right. written in our souls. Yeah. yeah. And it's not an easy thing to talk about. I mean, even now you and I are sitting here trying to talk about uh-huh. this. It's hard to sort of nail it down mm-hmm. and specify it. And Chesterton wrestles with this throughout this entire chapter to make clear what he's trying to say. But he wants to make clear that the Roman vision Mm -hmm. was much more human 
much less mechanistic, mm-hmm. much more, more soul-filled. More right-brained right right. than left-brained. Exactly. Yeah. It looked at the world in a valued way in which the human mattered. And it didn't matter to the Carthaginians, right, to right. the Phoenician culture. Okay, so Chesterton says in this chapter, he says, Men are moved in these things by something far higher and holier than policy, by hatred. And interrupt me whenever you want to. When men hung on in the darkest days of the Great War, suffering either in their bodies or in their souls for those they loved, they were long past caring about details of diplomatic objects as motives for their refusal to surrender. Of myself and those I knew best, I can answer for the vision that made surrender impossible. It was the vision of the German emperor's face as he rode into Paris. This is not the sentiment which some of my idealistic friends describe as love. I am quite content to call it hatred, the hatred of hell and all its works, and to agree that as they do not believe in hell, they need not to believe in hatred. But in the face of this prevalent prejudice, This long introduction has been unfortunately necessary to ensure an understanding of what is meant by a religious war. He wants to make the case that the war between Rome and Carthage Mm -hmm. was not a matter of economic rivalry, as it is so often painted. I was going to say that's what by the historians. Yeah, that's how the historians would paint it. In fact, Right. right here he says there is a religious war when two worlds meet. That is, when two visions of the world meet. Or in more modern language, when two moral atmospheres meet. Right. So he wants to make the case Mm -hmm. that what sustained this war between Carthage and Rome was not a matter of economic rivalry. And that's how it's constantly painted. And this is why he says in this chapter, we need a more subjective understanding of the nature of reality. Because what sustained this war in all actuality was the hatred of the Romans for what Carthage stood Stood for. for, It stood for the exact opposite of what Rome stood for in the depths of its character. Right, right. For the love of hearth and home and family. That's where Rome's center stood. And Carthage, with its god of, of success of achieving the end at any cost, with its sacrifice of its children to Moloch, stood in diametrical opposition to the Roman understanding of the world. And that's why he equates here his own understanding of the Great War, that is Mm -hmm. World War I, in which he fought. And he said, what sustained the soldiers wasn't economics. It's not that they cared about Britain or anything else happening in the broader world in terms of the economic structures and the governmental structures, they didn't want their world to descend into the hell that was represented by the German juggernaut. And likewise, he said, that's how we have to understand what really happened in the Mediterranean in the Punic Wars. Rome hated Right. Carthage. What is one man's breath is the other man's poison. Right. And what does he say immediately after that? And it is vain to talk of giving a pestilence a place in the sun. Right. And And this is what we must understand, he says. Right. And and that's important for understanding the remainder of this chapter. Well, he says, if we would see what really happened in the Mediterranean. Right. 
And I would argue that it also applies in our world today. Yep, exactly. In most of the history of the United States, there were always warring factions Mm -hmm. back and forth between right and left. And that was okay because for the most part, they shared values about the nature of where we wanted to go. Right. Like in the Federalists and the They loved America. Yeah. (laughs) But how do you deal with someone who's on the other side who hates America? Mm -hmm. And that's the issue we're in today. Who wants to see it fail. Who wants to see it fail. Who wants to see it undermined. Who wants to see it destroyed. Who views it. Not as a moral good, not as something that is flawed, but also moving in the right direction or trying to do what is right, but rather as something that is fundamentally evil and therefore must be taken down and destroyed. And that is the world we are living in today. We are back to that war between a pestilence and someone who is looking at it and saying, how can I live with this view as my enemy. Right. right. I, I can't come to an agreement with something that is so opposed, deeply, right. profoundly opposed to the values I cherish. Right, right. And so you said something today that made me understand everything. And it was, you said that Carthage represented the dark side of mythology while Rome represented the good side of it because Rome stuck with the human. Right. And And that's what brought it all together for me. Right. Because I was struggling with this chapter. This is a difficult chapter. And so many, so many things. The second half of the chapter. Yeah. The second half of the chapter, I just could not, I couldn't get it until you said that and that put it all together. And towards the end of the chapter, Chesterton makes this point. He says, look, the mythological world was the world that we were given before Christ. It was the only world that we have. Mm -hmm. It had its dark side and it's had its light side. And the light side was essentially a human side. It was anchored, especially in Rome, in the very human and domestic structures that kept alive humanity and the view of humanity as, as much as was possible at the time, valuable because made in the image of God. There was something intrinsic about the human soul and the human family that must be preserved. And the dark side, the side represented by the religions of Carthage and the Phoenicians and Moloch and Ashtoreth is that which sacrifices children to achieve a result that they value. Chesterton says right here, and this is what puts it all together with what you said to me. Mm -hmm. And then he says, after that, All men knew in their hearts that she had been representative of mankind. That is, Rome has been representative of mankind, right? right. Even when she was rejected of men. And there fell on her the shadow from a shining and as yet invisible light and the burden of things to be. It is not for us to guess in what manner or moment the mercy of God might in any case have rescued the world. But it is certain that the struggle which established Christendom would have been very different if there had been an empire of Carthage instead of an empire of Rome. Right. Yeah, And that's that's what you were just saying. That's vitally important Mm -hmm. in this chapter. Chesterton is painting a view of history here. And he's saying that as the Bible said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Mm -hmm. All of these things were being prepared. Mm -hmm. And he said, part of that was this battle between Rome 
and the evil side of mythology, and not just of mythology, but of paganism, yeah. represented by the Carthaginians, the Phoenician culture, the Philistines, mm -hmm. the Baal worshippers, right. the worshippers right. of Ashtoreth, who sacrificed children in the groves, right? right. If they had won, hmm. what sort of world would Christendom have had to overcome? Instead, God made it the case that Rome, however flawed she may have been at the time and moving forward, at least valued the human. Right, right. And that was a huge step in the right direction. Right. And, and Rome is to be praised for that. Right. And so it all this chapter all came together now for me. <laughs> it took a little bit, but yeah, because I couldn't put the beginning of the chapter with the end of the, well, from the middle on, and then you bridged it together for me. Real right. quick, like I said, when you said about the dark side of mythology, that was Carthage, and the good side of it was Rome. Right. And another interesting point on that is the Carthaginians, because of how they thought of the world, when they looked at Rome essentially crushed mm -hmm. with Hannibal standing outside the gates of Rome. Yeah. And all of Rome's army essentially decimated. Yeah. Not just one army, but multiple armies decimated. Exactly. There was no economic possibility for Rome to, to rise. rise from this. Mm -hmm. She was, as Carthage understood, in their limited way of viewing things, their mechanistic worldview, their inhuman worldview. Rome was already dead. Yeah, there was nothing. There was nothing left. And because they didn't see that there is a soul to man. Right. That oh, there they was saw something was the material. Yeah. Than just the material. Yeah. And yet from that death, Rome rose because there is more than mm -hmm. just the material right, to man. Right, right, right. Right. And in Lewis's myth of the funeral, the funeral of, a great, of a great myth, right. we want to say death. <laughs> in Lewis's The Funeral of a Great Myth, yeah. this myth is the evolutionary idea that man is simply the product of the natural world. That's all he is. Yeah. And that is a devastatingly awful and destructive myth mm -hmm. that we have bought at an incredible level in yeah. our world today. And you have brought this home to me how important that understanding is. Even if the evolution is right as a scientific notion, and I'm having my doubts now, even if it is, it's the wrong way to conceive of the world because of the results that come from it, and they are devastating. And they are exactly the results here measured by Chesterton in this chapter. Which makes me think, if God said he created everything was very good, yes. how could that be yep. the case? I mean, specifically, that is, a, is precisely what the worldview of the Phoenicians, of the Carthaginians, rejected, mm -hmm. that the world was good. Because if the right. world were good, then you would build a different sort of religious structure and understanding than the one that you built that is willing to sacrifice your children in order to achieve results. Right. Okay, so the orator, mm -hmm. Cato the Elder, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. end of all of his speeches in the Roman Senate, would say, Carthago delenda est, 
Carthage must be destroyed. Right. And to really understand that, I think you almost have to see it precisely as Chesterton sees it. There was something evil that they saw, something that repulsed them, something that they hated in Carthage. And it wasn't just economic. No, I know what you're saying. And so I think Chesterton's acknowledgement that the sacrifice of children to Moloch is representative of their culture was so inherently repulsive to the Romans because it was the sacrifice of the human, right. that is, the future, yeah. humanity or itself. Even, even even just their own children. Yeah. The, because it, the family, the mother's love, the father's love for yeah, their can, own flesh Can you imagine what must be suppressed right. in order to accomplish that? Right. And yes. That, and that, <laughs> that feeling inside and to right. be disgusted. And this is why I picked up on this moment in Chesterton's work here, mm-hmm. when in the critique that I made of the critics of the Mounted Ball yeah. curse tablet, at the very end of episodes, let's see, 109 and 110, mm-hmm. I said... Which was posted this week. Posted this week. Mm-hmm. I said, we are sacrificing truth and reality mm-hmm. And our scientific worldview on the altar of our own desires and considerations and our own self-aggrandizement. Right. And that's why I said Carthago Delenda at the end end of that one. Right. Because we're sacrificing our children. Mm -hmm. We're sacrificing truth itself. Right. The true legitimate children of the Western experiment. Right. That has taken us so far on the basis of the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. We're now destroying it. Mm-hmm. We're sacrificing those children. Yep. And we must destroy that worldview. We must. Right. We have to rise up as Christians and oppose it to our own deaths if necessary. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't, we lose it all. Right. And yes, Jesus will come back when Jesus comes back. Right. But until he does, it's our responsibility to stand for the children, to stand for what comes next, to stand for the human and for the reality of God. And that's why I use that at the end of that that episode. episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Chesterton goes on to say, the punic power fell because there is in this materialism a mad indifference to real thought. By disbelieving in the soul, it comes to disbelieving in the mind. Being too practical to be moral, it denies what every practical soldier calls the moral of an army. Their religion was a religion of despair. Even when their practical fortunes were hopeful, their religion was a religion of force and fear. Their philosophy of the world had weariness in its very heart. Yeah, and this is this is woke ideology. Mm-hmm. It yep, is the yep. same thing with the postmodern transitioning into woke ideology that we see in today's world. Yep, yep, and here it is. In a word, how should they understand the mind of man who had so long bowed down before the mindless things, money and brute force and gods, who had the hearts of beasts? Yeah. Okay, so my summary of the chapter, 
the summary I would give to this chapter would be that history is not a story of like these animals that were motivated to move from one grazing land to another. So they conquered here and, you know, but one where civilizations or maybe societies or maybe individuals were representing the human, as you said today to me, they were representing the human and they were keeping the knowledge or the idea of the soul alive. Right. And that's the role of Rome. Right. And And just continuing it. Today, like when we were talking about it, I said, Rome often gets, I think, a bad rap Mm -hmm. because people look at it at the later years when it was corrupt. Right. And yet Rome- We always talk, when we discuss Rome in the Roman Empire, we always discuss it on the later- We talk about it as oppressive and evil, but it wasn't just that. At the beginning- at the beginning, or even even I think towards the end, it wasn't just that. Mm-hmm. There was more going on. Mm-hmm. And yes, Rome fell apart because it became more and more corrupt, just like we are. I was just going to say, United States. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that it Everybody, started that way, right? Or that the fundamental values underlying it were corrupt, right? And even if they didn't have an understanding that they were keeping the soul alive and the idea of man alive, they were. They were. They were fighting for it. And it's kind of what we, where we are now, right now. Are we going to look at man as just this ongoing progression of nature moving forward because we're all just a bunch of electrical impulses, you know, or are we going to return to what makes us distinct and separate from the rest of the world, our, our soul, which was made in the image of God and, and we're here for a specific reason and we're moving towards, you know, this, this higher Right. We're called towards the heavenly realm. Right. And farther up and farther in. Right. The idea that we are called to understand God, to seek God. And in doing so, we find the truth, the reality, and the beauty of God. And this is the, the war between the gods and the demons. Yes. And Chesterton kind of ends with saying, thank God that the demons were defeated. Right, exactly. Right? Even from death. Mm-hmm. It's, and uh, he uses that as a prefigurement of the resurrection. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say this is in it, and he shows how it's all leading up mm-hmm. to preparing the world for Christ. Right. To right. come. When the fullness of kind was come, God sent forth his son. But the death of Rome mm-hmm. and then the resurrection of Rome, yeah. based on the human reality that it stood for, that it wouldn't be defeated, not because it had lost all possibility of hope, but because it refused to bow down to the false and the evil. It stood up and said, whatever, if you're going to destroy us, destroy us, Mm -hmm. but we're going to go down fighting. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, so I guess, do you have anything else to say about this? I always have more to say, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to shut up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's all we have for this week. So this Monday on the Christian Atheist coming up, you're going to be still continuing your, ready for this? This is a tongue twister for me. JDP, Mount Ebal Cursed Tablet slash Modern Theology and Biblical Criticism Series. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's a mouthful. Yeah. So and yet it is. We have woven all three into a single have, narrative. Yeah, and you've done a very good job with it. You really have a lot of research, a lot of oh, time, yeah. a lot of thinking, a lot of writing. We have lived this stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> you and mm-hmm. I, for the last couple of months. I think you have more than anything. <laughs> okay, so that's coming up this Monday, and if you haven't heard this past Monday's 
episode of The Christian Atheist, you you might want to tune into that. So don't forget if you like to read or if to listen to the entire The Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton, the links will be in the description to the text as well as John reading it without commentary on the Simple Gifts podcast, which you can hear on YouTube or on your favorite podcasting apps. I would put in Simple Gifts John Wise because there's lots of different simple gifts <laughs> in the world. If you're listening through YouTube, please consider subscribing. We would really appreciate you subscribing. Okay, and if you're interested in knowing more about The Christian Atheist, be sure to check out the link to John's book in the description, Through the Looking Glass, The Imploding of an Atheist Professor's Worldview. John has a way with titles. <laughs> Titles of episodes and titles of books, titles of everything. (laughs) And we're making progress on our Paradise Lost book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're doing a really good job with that. And as always, if you have the means, why not buy us a cup of coffee? There's a link to that in the description. And we thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. We appreciate you very, very much. And we hope you have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you next week. I love you, my dear. I love you too, Johnny. Talk to you later. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.